Perfect. We're up. We're going right now. Well, Nick Flores, thank you very much for inviting me Absolutely. to be it's a part pleasure. of this pad- podcast. I always get a little bit nervous. No, I'm completely when, understandable. Um, but I'm I'm really grateful to be able to be here and to talk about the Philosophy Forum. Um, let me uh, start by introducing uh, the keynote speaker, um, or who will be the keynote speaker on Wednesday. Um, his name is Wynne Wiley, uh, aka Patagonia. And so Patagonia is his... Um, how to put it, his, uh, uh, his, the name that he uses, that he started using about, I'd say, four years ago. And I'll read the intro to what, uh, what he'll be speaking about. But you'll hear that um, during the uh, keynote. If you, if you come on Wednesday, this coming, April 26th, 7 p.m., uh, in the Van Duzer Theater. This is free for students. Um, you have to have your student ID, and uh, but but you can uh, get in for free. But you can get in for free, and you can actually get t- tickets emailed if you're interested, uh, even before. And what is the price for just general public? Twenty five dollars, which is okay. not not bad at all. Mm-mm. And uh, let me say a word. Uh, I'll just read the introduction that you'll, you will hear. Uh, Patagonia is a drag queen, environmentalist, and community organizer. They're originally from the corn of Nebraska and now live over the mountains in Bend, Oregon. Patty was born on a backpacking trip. This is the alternate persona. persona. Four years ago and has been sunburned ever since. By the way, there's some really good, uh, there's really good material out there um, that you can you can go to um, if for some Sad reason you're not able to make it to the keynote. Uh, there, there's material you can get uh, get to uh, to look at what he's what they're about. And let me use that term because it's just the more appropriate way of doing it. Patty is the co-founder of the Outdoorist Oath, a nonprofit that creates outdoor community for BIPOC, queer, and underrepresented groups. She also sits on the development committee for Brave Trails, a summer camp for LGBTQ plus youth. Patty believes in the power of drag as a form of activism, largely and beautifully and powerfully activist. Over the past three years, she has she and her community have raised over one million dollars for queer, BIPOC, and environmental nonprofits. Her drag is often inspired by queerness in the natural world and countering the traditional masculine outdoor narratives. She's frequently, it says upcycling, maybe recycling, climbing rope and sleeping bags into the gayest little hiking outfits you ever did see. Please welcome, right, so this is the person who will be uh, speaking uh, at Van du- in Van Duzer Theater tomorrow on the Cal Poly Humboldt campus, um, the Philosophy Forum, for uh, whom Patty is the keynote, uh, started well as a philosophy forum in 2012. But it was uh, the 
uh, it was called the Ethics Forum before that. And I think it started in like 2002. I decided that uh, it was about time that people became familiar with the fact that philosophy is a practical discipline. Human beings were reflective. We have interests. We have values. How are we going to be able to discuss things in a, a, a critical but a respectful and constructive way to show the merit, the importance of philosophy? Because if you don't learn how to think reasonably and to support uh, what you value, why you value what you value, and have these conversations with other people, well, that's when things tend to fall apart. And I'm going to take some water here. One of the, the things that I've noticed is um, in polling my, my students, and I've been here since uh, 1989, um, most of them, by the time they get to college, have not had a single philosophy course. Not one. Not one philosophy course. Um, which is really, in my, of course, I'm a philosopher, so I'm going to just say that. A little biased. Yeah, yeah, a little biased. But it's shameful, really, because that's where you learn um, kind of the skills um, not just of, of reasoning. Sometimes people say arguing, but, you know, it's, that kind of has that um, kind of nasty flair to it. But uh, reasoning, and you, you have to reason according to certain basic rules, right? Guidelines of logic, critical thinking, and, you know, in order to have a valid kind of position, you also have to be able to support that with evidence, that's what makes your, your position not just valid, you know, consistent according to rules of reasoning, but sound. That's how, we, that's how we have conversations in a way that allows us to basically implement the sorts of policies, the sorts of, uh, the sorts of uh, protocols that we, we think we ought to. And students aren't trained in this. So I decided that it was time for the university. I mean, it started in my department, because of course I'm in the philosophy department. Uh, I decided to create a forum where these ideas, these issues were discussed, tying it directly to um, things in the culture, to, to news, to, to stories, um, to events, and um, philosophy is alive, and it keeps it keeps moving uh, as a growing discipline. As as hum human beings continue to evolve, philosophy does too. So let me just uh, tell you some of the um, some of the beginning topics when the philosophy forum was the ethics forum. Just real quickly, biomedical ethics, hate some social, psychological, and philosophical dimensions, the ethics and poli politics of healthcare, marriage equality, persons living on the margin, privacy, safety, and globalization, addiction, desire, disease, or choice, global warming, a moral controversy, ethics, violence, and revolution, War, peace, and globalization, life, death, and medical ethics, on democracy, 
and the very first one, uh, Nonviolence, Terrorism, and War. And I think that was in 2002, if I... Well, sir, you started this with the outright desire not to shy away from any controversial topics. You wanted to have an authentic conversation regarding really anything and everything. Well, yes, that's exactly what I wanted to do. Um, focusing on a theme, focusing on some topic that students could um, learn more about. And there are already topics that people are interested in frequently, but it's hard to know how to talk about those subjects unless you have some kind of forum, some kind of, you know, uh, how, to, how to put it, some kind of exposure to the topic and, and you're able to, and not just do the research, but come up with ways of being able to, to, uh, to evaluate what it is that's, that's before you. Now, these, this was the ethics forum. And in uh, 2012, um, we had a need to broaden the scope because ethics, of course, is uh, the part of philosophy that deals with what's called loosely the good life. Uh, we link it to things like mor morality, right, um, right and wrong in the moral sense. Um, but the first speaker for the philosophy forum was Vic Stenger. Sadly, he's passed. But um, the topic for that first year was science and spirituality falling awake to diversity. And um, just to give you some idea, um, this particular keynote um, was an atheist. He's one of the was one of the new atheists. Uh, also trained. He's had, her training wasn't in philosophy. His training was as a physicist, right? So, um, yeah, he had definitely a, a point of view and one that's not necessarily popular with a lot of people who who are, are, are people of faith. Um, I loved this. Great way of starting. Huge audience uh, for, for, that, uh, for that time. And it was followed up with uh, three presentations from, from people uh, in, in the community um, and faculty. Let me... I have it somewhere here. <laughs> Did I put that away? Hopefully not. You know, I'm going to scramble a little No, bit. no. Where did I put that? It's too many things can be. It's not in here. Thank you for your, thank you for your patience. Hang on. Absolutely. Um, I don't know where I put it. It's just a... Yeah, here it is. Sorry, of course. The very, very last place I looked. But naturally... So, I mean, uh, for example, and this is when the forum uh, was a, a, a full year. Um, we had presenters, Susan Armstrong, um, one of my colleagues, she's now reti retired, awesome person, amazing. She, I'm just going to say a word about, about her. I mean, she does, um, she was doing cutting edge philosophy. First of all, as a woman, um, focusing on environmental ethics, animal rights, when they weren't taken seriously as disciplines, as something that we should even be concerned about. And, um, so she's written books on this, and she's also, in addition to being a retired philosopher, 
um, she's she's a priest. She went back to school to took uh, to take uh, uh, the uh, I was going to say to take a degree as a priest. No, you don't take a degree. You know, she's a um, for the Episcopal Church. Right? So she's a priest in the church. So it was really nice to have somebody who's like a very very devout atheist and quite in, in some ways very. Um, I don't want to say dogmatic, but you know, just um, she was very uh, much ingrained in that way. He, well, he was oh. Vic Stegner and Susan Armstrong is not at all dogmatic. You know, she's very philosophical in her ability to listen to people's views, um, to respond as respectfully and reasonably, of course, using evidence and uh, logic-based reasoning uh, as anybody possibly could. Uh, but she's a person of faith. And so she's one of these beautiful people who can see the compatibility of reason and faith, and of course, by extension, science and spirituality, right? Um, so she presented, lovely, um, I don't want to underspeak uh, the, the other presenters. Um, I, I, Scott Sattler also, sadly, has passed on. He uh, uh, was an MD and a Sufi practitioner. He took a Fulbright when he was very young, I think, I believe in Turkey, and became a devout um, Sufist, um, focusing on philosophy, the unique Sufist philosophy of love. And I'm not going to, you know, want to take too much time, but just this is exciting uh, that, that's, as the first place where we started. And um, I spoke on, um, wait a minute, hold on a second, Susan. Science and Spirituality, Scott Sattler, also a doctor, medical doctor, um, speaking on mysticism, the search for truth beyond reason. Um, and then I spoke on uh, Confucian ritual as body language of self, society, and spirit. And then Benjamin, uh, finally Benjamin, last but not least, Schaefer, also teaching in the Department of Philosophy, um, spoke on is atheism a matter of faith so it was just fascinating but we I, I should say back up a little bit part of the philosophy forum whether it was here or how we do it right now um can be taken as a one unit course right so you can take uh and any student can do this take the philosophy forum course it's a philosophy 480 seminar in philosophy right one unit credit no credit and the way we run it now, you you know come to four meetings a semester. That's in the fall now because I'm in the process of retiring as well. I'm what they call furping, right? What's that? It sounds very strange, but a faculty early retirement program. I'm in that program, and I have four more uh, falls to be teaching. Um, but I'll also be active in uh, running and supporting the philosophy forum, and for as long as they'll let me, I'll, I'll try to be a part of that. Um, before moving on, I, I was remiss if I didn't say this right from the start. The Philosophy Forum is sponsored largely, has been, um, for, for some time, actually, I would say. Let's see, what year was that? Um, 2017, uh, by Center Arts at our university. And I thank, uh, thank the people at Center Arts profusely because um, their support has been absolutely invaluable. And okay, so Center Arts, we ought to give a, a, a 
little shout out. For yes, them. that's right. And also, um, the co- the College of Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences uh, have been very supportive. Um, we, we'll talk about this in in a bit. We have um, uh, in let's see. Uh, 2021, we had George Yancey, and I'm going to go through these a bit. Um, and George Yancey is an African American philosopher. Um, he is an amazing, uh, amazing speaker. Uh, he was our keynote, and the uh, I'd like to say that this was a part of the presidential spe- uh, series, speaker series as well. So we supported not just by uh, by the the college, but also by uh, by the president's office and. Much much appreciated for uh, by me and by everybody for that uh, for that kind of support. So this is this is not just uh, you know a philosophy forum. It really has become a part of the university. Um, we've had speakers from uh, many departments, or I'd say quite quite a few anyway. Different speakers uh, on campus. We've had speakers from the community. Um, it's kind of gone through some changes, but you, so we have the course that students can take and hear presentations and discussions and you know see, you know, uh, videos, podcasts, and, and and the like. And then we have the keynote now, of course. So that was a spring. later edition. Was the keynote speaker? No, the, the keynote was became center, uh, center to the 2012, uh, the first year. Uh, with Vic Stenger, but even when we had the Ethics Forum, which was a smaller, a much smaller kind of uh, production, uh, we had members um, even there from the community, uh, different professions, uh, speaking about these topics. And it depends what year it was. And so starting with the Ethics Forum, it sounds like it kind of started out of a need to create some critical discourse amongst your students and to get them to think critically about these, this variety of topics, even back then. And that you said that was 2002. Yeah, I think it's 2002. I'd have to go back to this very cumbersome. Sorry, I've got lots of. You came well prepared. Oh, well, it says, yep. Looks like 2003, but the actual planning started in, in 2002, I believe, 2000. And so you felt like that was lacking even back then. That there wasn't this this ability to look at a topic and formulate a critical argument or think about it in a rational way and support your standing with evidence. You felt like that was lacking even back then, early 2000s. Oh, it, it still is. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Oh, it seems yeah. like it's almost gotten worse now. It seems like we are less able to have a, a serious discussion without feelings and emotion getting involved and be able to look at our argument and see if it's sound and look at the other person's argument and see if it's sound. and. Right have an actual discussion about something. That's right. That, that's right. And I've traveled widely. You know, I've been to a lot of different countries. I've presented uh, in many, many places. And um, one of the things that, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, you know, um, but one of the things that Americans are known for, at least generally speaking, is um, we have opinions. That might be mine. Okay. Let me turn it yeah, I wasn't turn. sure if that was my phone over there. Sorry. Chirping. I'm going to turn it off. Um. We have opinions and we're willing, we want to take a stand. We're trained. We train our kids. We train our students. We, ta- we train people to, you know, take a view, take a stand. 
You know. And it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. Just take a stand. Right. And that's the thing, you know, and everybody has a right to vote. Everybody has a right to an opinion. But if you want to actually um, ground your opinion uh, in something that goes beyond just what you think, right, it's why you think it, you know, and at, at the very base, what is the value or values that you're promoting that are that are entailed in your view and your position, many of, much of the time, people don't even know what that is. You know, they're like, well, I don't, I don't know. You know, they have a certain view of, um, I mean, just think about some of the key ethicists, really. In the, in the Western tradition, you have people like Kant. What did he value? I mean, this is really, I can't do philosophy like this. But, you know, but, you know there's something, autonomy, right? freedom. Um, the utilitarians. Happiness, but social utility. Um, so you have even in this this thing called ethics, a variety of different, not just views, but basic values embedded in principles that are used to make decisions about how to live. People don't even recognize that. It's like, well, huh. especially when you start doing things like uh, comparative religion. I teach um, ancient Chinese philosophy uh, a lot, right? And have taught Indian philosophy. And um, when you start looking at other so-called, let me just stretch a term here, faith traditions, <laughs> there are people all over the world have been trying to figure things out, you know, or have this sense of something that goes beyond the, what we might call the self, the family, the community, the nation, something beyond life and maybe even something beyond death. Right? There's this sense uh, and kind of urging to reflect uh, and, and you know, seek answers. Now, the problem is that if you just have the answer without having the reasons for why you have that answer, that's called dogmatism. You're just, just holding a view. But why do you believe in that view? Well, because it's true. That feels rampant today. Right. That yeah. I, it's true because I believe it's true. Right. Exactly. And it's okay. Well, why is it true? It's because I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like you know that's called a a circular argument. It's like you, you just and this is unfortunate. And I think it goes back to what I said earlier about uh, philosophy not being key uh, in American uh, in American schools, starting in most American schools. I want to say uh, from the get go. I mean, we should be teaching. Our students, critical thinking, uh, ethics, um, and you know, there's a branch of philosophy called metaphysics. Views of reality, they are diverse, right? We have a view of reality that we simply overlay on everybody. Like, this is reality. You know, this is real reality. This is what's real. Well, no, that's what you conceive as being real. But if you look at other philosophies, other religions, they have a very different way of understanding what is real, what is good, um, and, and you know, going all, just all the way down the line as far as the philosophical branches are, con are concerned. So, um, yeah, it's, um, it's unfortunate. And now more than ever, you know, I mean, as one of my colleagues today was just uh, expressing how um, he lost a very, very dear friend. Uh, just because of just extreme differences, you know, I mean, uh, and 
what I think I would just say, I'm not going to fill in the details too much, but what would be considered, you know, morally problematic. You know, you hang around somebody who's, you know, who's racist and uses really bigoted, demeaning language, whether it's to people of color, um, uh, including Native Americans, of course, in this in this community, women. Um, if you start using disrespectful language, targeting any particular group, it's like, wait a minute. When you hear people do that, it's like, what? Why? What are they doing? I mean, it just um, you can't get a conversation off the ground, right? And perhaps it's like, oh, I didn't know I was doing that, or well, because women are are stupid. Women are not as intelligent as men. Uh, white people are smarter than black people. I mean, just these kinds of views that we hold. That if you really look at it with any precision, just it's just not true. You know, you give people an opportunity, they thrive. So that's a pitch for philosophy. I, I, and I'm very, uh, very dedicated to, to this for, for all kinds of reasons. But, you know, no, we don't have to just say what we think. We have to look at why we think what we think and, and what is the ground for that? What is the reason? Um, once we know the reasons for why we think what we think or we value what we value, what our interests are, then we can have a conversation. And we might be like, wow, you know, I never saw it that way. I never, I never was able to really, because we, we don't listen, you know, to, to, to other people. We just automatically assume that if they're different, then they're, they're wrong or they're abnormal, not just statistically, but in some deeper personal way, perhaps a moral way. It's like, how can you – I mean, I see this in in a, in a lot of faith traditions where, you know, that's, why would anybody believe that? And not what I believe. Why would anybody believe that? And not what my particular faith tradition uh, calls on us to believe. It's because people are different and they have different ways of understanding. And if you learn about those differences respectfully, you might really learn something new. Not just about other people, but about yourself. So that's part of what this forum uh, aims uh, aims to do. Um, I mean, I can just—I know that that poster. I had this. I posted a lot of these around campus, and uh, they were torn down. So, so there were at least some people who are not not pleased with that presentation. And for people that aren't aware, it's the Win Wiley Patagonia. Patagonia is the alter ego, in Correct. a sense. It's a drag queen. Correct. And so... She's a drag queen. She's a drag yeah, queen. Yeah. You think that it was kind of a hateful act, that people were pulling that down because of what the keynote speaker stands for? I'm sense? thinking maybe, but, you know, again, it could only... It might have only been They might have person. just been assholes, yeah. Right, you know, it's just like, whoa, what's that? You know, it's just... It, because, you know, we're a Cal Poly now, as you know. Um, and... Um, a lot of what we have been doing is respectful of diversity and inclusion, right? But some people just are not uh, are not having it for whatever reason. And um, so I don't know what the reason. I mean, I didn't catch the person or ask. I mean, who knows? But uh, I noticed that uh, just a, a immediate prejudice without knowing. Who Win Wiley or who Patagonia is or what or or, or what they're about. 
Um, well, you want to speak about a controversial subject today. I mean, the drag stuff seems to have polarized people into a number of different camps. No kidding. No kidding. Uh, oh, my goodness. I've been um, for as long as I can remember. Let me just be safe and say quite, quite a long time. Um, I've been an advocate uh, or ally, I want to say, for the LGBTQ uh, I plus community because I think it's a basic civil right to be able to uh, I mean I mean it's a basic civil right to be able to live uh, as you as you see fit as long as what you do is in in you know flagrant violation of the law or violation of the law or you know if, if it's not immoral I mean what, what the heck but you people automatically see something like that. And think, well, that's immoral. By definition, they think it's immoral to, you know, drag uh, or, you know, discussions about uh, 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 race. That's another really um, poignant topic. That's why I'm so glad to have uh, George Yancey come to speak to this because it's, it's being brought to the level of awareness more pervasively. Racism, sexism, they're being brought to the level of awareness. And that's painful growing pains, sir. <laughs> um, but that's how we learn. This is how we develop. You have to look at the, the, the truth, the facts, um, the, the, the positions, if you will. Not, not stifle them. Right? And if something is not good in our history, why not, why not face it so we don't make the mistake again? So we realize that we violated basic civil rights of so many people or devalued them as human beings. So we don't do that again. We don't make that mistake. We, we um, first of all, we recognize, we can only then recognize and, um, and perhaps apologize for what it is, make uh, restitution to the degree. Uh, that we're able, but if you what you see now, and this is, it's political it is is um, all get out and, and has other facets, facets. Whether it's anti-trans or anti-gay, anti-African um, American, Native American, whatever, anti-female, whatever it is, you you have this uh, this trend of keeping things as so-called traditional as possible, so we don't actually learn about the history in a way that would very likely change how we think about our history, about ourselves, and about our future. So this is a, an opportunity for growth. But growth involves pain. And I think that's what we're going through. And you don't just br brush it under the carpet. You d don't just sweep it, uh, sweep it away um, because this is what's happening. And it's important, and it's positive. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, I'm. I'm over here thinking. Do you, in terms of race and sex, I guess would be the two primary ones right now. Do you think that those, the problems facing those areas, are more predominant today, or we're just we have a big, bigger magnifying glass over them now because we have the technology to amplify a case of whatever, so that you see it now. It's more in your face. Or do you think it's just more prevalent? 
Well, I think, you know, if you're talking about the history, say the history of, uh, and again, this is short shrift naturally, but the history of, you know, African-Americans in this culture, uh, in this country, um, they started off as property. They were owned property. And, you know, we're not that old, you know, as far as countries go, travel in Europe, travel in China or India, you know, just. So I think it's, Again, I think there's increased awareness and needs to be an in, in increased awareness about the history, about the topics. And this is the kind of thing we discuss in the, in, in the philosophy forum and, um, and did in the ethics forum. Um, and you say, well, well, you don't want to make people feel bad about it. Well, if there's something in our history that is bad, we should feel bad. Even today? I mean, you know, if, if something's if something's wrong, and we support that, if we practice that, um, and again, this is just a kind of a theoretical position because I'm not nailing it down to you know any particulars. I mean, you say be, being racist or being sexist or whatever, you know, just um, then you don't do it if it's wrong, especially if you realize it's wrong then you don't do it. But you have people looking at, you know, someone like Wynne Wiley and his, um, his uh, alter persona Pat Patagonia, and they're saying, hmm, you know, that's wrong. Like there's some kind of, uh, some, something immoral or perverse about someone using drag or any, uh, or, being, or being gay or whatever it is. That's where we need to have the conversations, and that's where the awareness needs to, to, to increase, because if you start having those conversations, you would be surprised how people like, hmm, I never really thought about it that way. I never really looked at it that, that way. And I was just thinking, um, uh, you're probably way too young for this, but did you, do you remember an artist named Liberace? Yeah. Yeah. Now, was he not doing drag? Of sorts, flamboyant. I mean, not drag, obviously, but he was a very, very flamboyant um, entertainer. That was that was when I was a kid, right? When I when I was really young. So it's not that. I think there's often. I'm not quite sure why I brought that up. It just seemed to me like just such a good example of someone who wouldn't be my, mainstream as far as a male entertainer is concerned, but. Um, he was an entertainer and people accepted him, even then. So it's almost like, to me, sometimes there's backpedaling in some of these areas. I'm not trying to tell people what to believe. I just want them to look at why they believe what they do. What's, what's shoring up their practices, if you will. Um, and, and sometimes you might be surprised. So... Um, Isn't there a hopeful way to look at that and to see how far we've come in that sense? Because nowadays you could point to, I mean, there are a number of famous men who dress in a more feminine manner. And it's just, that's just what it is. Right. Nobody bats an eye at it. Right. Well, when I, well, even when I was young, there was this uh, group of human beings called, uh, at least in the U.S., right? actually also in Western Europe and various other places, um, called hippies. Now, if you look at some, you can go look at some of the entertainers, right? Um, they looked considerably so-called feminine by certain masculine standards that have changed. Look at the Founding Fathers. 
they had bloody bouffants, whatever those like butt buns sometimes, little bows and frilly, frilly shirts. Wow. So these things change. They they change. And the thing is, um, and to get back to your question, what's happening, I think, and it's been happening a lot, whether it be about um, uh, uh, sex gender issues or race, race issues, is um, we're becoming aware more and more. There's more of a forum out there a cultural form for discuss, discussing these things. Um, it's still a tricky business. I'm not going to say that there's any, you know, standard right or wrong way of looking at things um, in, in so far as, you know, coming up, having a particular conclusion, but it's really how you reason about it, how you think about it, what you're willing, what you're willing to look at. And sometimes looking at things can be quite painful. But if you don't, how do you know what you think? How, how, how do you know what that thing is that you might be criticizing or embracing? That's what this forum is about. Uh, hearing people uh, and their and their their views. Let me. You, do you mind if I read some of Absolutely. these things? Okay. I'm enjoying this, by the way. Oh, Thank great. you. I was so nervous. I thought, oh my god. Oh, Once you get rolling, it kind of settles yeah. in. You're like, okay, it's not yeah. as bad. Yeah, I'm okay. So. Um, this keynote speaker speaking on Wednesday, Patagonia. If you hold that a little bit more that way, they'll be able to see it. You pointed at this camera, though. Oh. Yeah, that's on well, you. Well, let me... Do to... you want me to hand Yes, please. Know? Yeah, you're, you're actually closer, so what, do you want to hold that up? I can do it on this one, and it'll show up for Oh, gotcha, Patagonia. gotcha. Yeah, there's a camera on each of us. That's cool. So this, this is the keynote speaker coming this Wednesday. Correct. Yeah. And I encourage people, I really encourage people to... Uh, to attend. Um, I think it's exciting. And I've seen some of his work, some of their work. Her work actually is Patagonia. So sorry about mis, uh, misgendering. Um, last year, and I'm going to go reverse. I, did, I started with number one, right? The very first philosophy forum. Um, just because that's where we started. And we had that kind of, uh, that kind of st standard protocol of having uh, – not just a keynote, but classes and, and, and visiting uh, presenters and things like that. Um, but it's changed over time. 21-22, uh, Whitney Phillips, who is the author of uh, This Is Why We Can't Have Nice, nice Things, uh, mapping the relationship between online trolling and mainstream culture, and she does it beautifully. She's also written some other books um, uh, that are – very, very good, but I've read this one. She was a philosophy major when HSU was HSU, right? So she took her degree in philosophy from our university and wrote this book, which is basically the first of its kind. Brilliant, showing the relationship in the, the almost interdependency between um, trolling uh, and, and, and what happens in... Uh, in the larger culture. So I recommend that highly, that title. Trolling in the sense of it, it has a negative impact on people at large? No, actually the, the internet trolling, oh. starting with uh, the internet tr trolling. And now, I mean, think about it, uh, how that would be, um, oh, it's just, uh, 
it, it's I, I I can't say any of this as well as um, uh, as Whitney was able to, but just the the influence between the mentality involved in that, right? Nobody will necessarily consider themselves a troll unless they actually were self-avowed trolls or whatever. But just just how much this is pervasive, and um, now we we know uh, it's not just uh, not just political. Um, it's out of the news. It's international. I mean, this stuff is happening because we have this new uh, new media medium, if you're just talking about the internet itself, but all these different forms of media, um, all of the, I mean, and, and think what comes with that. I'm debating a little bit about, uh, from this uh, speaker, but just what comes with that, I mean, you know, Again, I go back to when I was a kid. You know, I'd sit down and watch Walter Cronkite, or you had three news channels, right? And um, and there, there was the news, and okay, that's what's that's what's going on in the world, right? And but now we have to be in the position. Uh, we have to be artists of discernment because we're getting all kinds of information from all kinds of places. And we have the scroll mentality, right? It does. Choo, 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 choo. Well, how how are you? So now I think, stepping on my words, but now philosophy is more more, more important than ever because we have to look at that stuff and say, well, hmm. Of course, the the flip side of that, and I think part of the extreme uh, reaction uh, against uh, against this uh, uh, need to be reflective, uh, discerning, um, is. Uh, just thinking all news is fake news or all so-called truths are subjective. They, they have no real grounding outside of, like we talked about earlier, you know, well, that's just because that's what you think or that's just because that's what you believe. And that's just, you can never have a conversation that way. So, you know, you believe this, I don't believe that. Okay, that's, that's where we are. So wait a minute. Look at why we believe it, have a conversation. Not everything is fake news, right? Um, but it takes some investigating. You have to actually look at it. Um, and again, you, we've seen this in, surely in our culture where, you know, science has become the bad guy. I'm a person of faith, but I also believe in science. I also believe in ethics, you know, being able to have these sorts of uh, uh, different frameworks for understanding this larger thing we call reality and to see it as a framework. So, um, so Whitney Phillips, uh, I wanted to stop you there for a second, if you don't mind. No, I don't mind it. It, do you think we can have a rational discussion? Do you think through embracing philosophy, through learning how to handle critical thought, do you think we, we can go down that route if we don't establish objective truths? Or do you think we need some foundation first? Because it seems like people, you know, reality is subjective, truth is subjective. We have we have eroded all of these foundational ideas up to this point in history, right. and now we're trying to rewrite them and also build upon them. Yeah. Do you think that I think having a, really, a shaky ground is a problem? Yeah, I think that's a great question. No, of course not. I mean, it, it, we, we I don't know what you mean by shaky ground, but not everything is subjective, right? Um, certain rules of reason reasoning, um, are cross-cultural. 
Now, you tell somebody, uh, a rational person from wherever, um, uh, that uh, something, fill in whatever that something is, right, um, is true. And then you say the exact same thing is not true. What you've done is you've utter uttered a contradiction, right? So Because something can't, can't be true and that very same thing not be not true at the same time, right? This is how we think. And, and you, we catch people in contradictions. We know what we hear. Sometimes, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're contradicting ourselves. We don't realize it. That's just one example of the kinds of uh, rules of reasoning, if you will, that are ob objective. They're cross-cultural. Um, one of the things science I th uh, gives us is um, a way of, um, well, testing for soundness, you know, what is it? What is it we think? We have some ideas, my hypothesis. We test it. We do experiments. We we have a particular scientific method, and that method, by the way, is cross cultural for scientists all over the world. It, it, that's the ground, if you will, and I just use uh, you know examples that are fairly safe because you know there are um, uh, categories of understanding. There are. Uh, certain ways of investigating the world we live in um, that doesn't necessarily we come up, come up with some absolute or, or conclusive truth, but we have some, we can say something is uh, supported more or less. And so, you know, limits of reliability, we can say this is true, you know, within this sort of, a, you know, with this margin of error or whatever. Um, so... Those are foundation. The, the, the tricky bit is when you start, start talking about the good life, right? When you talk about what is morally right, what is moral, what is immoral, uh, what it means to, to live a good life, to live well, it tends to look, and I would want to say, be a lot more subjective because the things we just talked about were, are, are cognitive, right? Um, uh, establishing validity, establishing soundness, having methods for being able to pursue those things. But um, when it comes to values, our interests, the, the things we do to pursue those, uh, they're clearly not cross-cultural, at least on the face of it. And now, Western, I gave you a couple of examples of how, you know, you have... Um, Kantian values of freedom, utilitarian values of happiness, um, but that's you know it's Western. You have in ancient China uh, something called Tao, the Way, right? And um, reality is seen as as you know not a thing, you know, not an object, but something that that's fluid, that's changing, that's creative. And so you have these different ways of understanding, and, and that's metaphysics, right? Even when, what re, what reality is. Um, but once we kind of come up with some kind of um, some kind of question, some kind of theme, some kind of focus, narrow, narrowing in on on what that involves, um, looking at it uh, reflectively, um, I keep liking to say critical and critically and constructively, then you can have a conversation within those limits. But what we see. Um, 
And this is just the human way to get back to your original, you know, this is just the human way. We, we're, a, we're diverse, uh, not just historically, but obviously even now cross-culturally, we're diverse, but we're living in a world that's linked by telecommunications. It's linked uh, in a way that it's never been before and sometimes for ill, um, going back to the trolling and, you know, some of the political stuff that you, you were aware of is, you know. There's a lot out there. Oh, it's sabotaging. I mean, it's sabotaging anything. I mean, sometimes it's just sabotaging our, our, our uh, you know, our faith, I think, in, in, our, in, in ourselves, in our, in our world. Well, that's another aspect is the, the failure of institutions and the undermining of, of them. Right. That seems that's come out through COVID and through a number of different things is it seems like people's faith in these previously reliable institutions has now fallen. Like the Walter Cronkite, like this is what the news is. Right, right. And now nobody knows what the news is because it's one day it's this and the next day it's this. And it's like, well, how wasn't it just this the other day? And oh well right. now that it's this thing and we're changing that. Yeah. And people stop believing, okay, well, we could just change it on a dime. I'm not gonna trust what you're saying. Exactly. Anymore. Exactly. And uh, it's sort of a balancing act, isn't it? Because um, uh, because we differ and have different interests, different standards for valuing different things, for knowing things differently, for being in relationship in very different ways, that doesn't reduce completely to pure uh, subjectivity. Again, I, I, I bring up the, the, the importance of critical thinking, the importance of uh, um, not, not just logic-based reasoning, but of course the, the, the investigation of what is sound. You gotta look to the world for that, right? But you, you, you name it, you define it. Um, so yeah, it opens the Pandora's box to something that's much more complex, like our world. Our world is complex. It didn't used to be, when I first started teaching philosophy, um, basically, introduction to philosophy books were called introduction to philosophy. What were they? Standard, standard white male philosophers. And don't get me wrong, those aren't bad. Those philosophers were brilliant, but really accurately, that would be introduction to Western philosophy, and even more precisely, introduction to um, mainstream Western philosophy, because in the so-called West, you have all kinds of marginalized communities and groups that are now wanting a voice and deserve to have a voice according to the basic principles of our, of our democracy. Um, so maybe sometimes the things we agree on are, are pretty vague. I think of some of the con Constitution, for example, I mean, some of those. And we're just trying to figure out how to make that work. And how, what does this mean? How do, how do we apply this? But that's part of the human experience. And I would rather have that and have it be something that isn't and that we shouldn't just think has a pat solution uh, than, than the opposite. Because that's where you get your, your, your dictatorial authoritarian, uh, narrow-minded, and frankly, very scary uh, ways of thinking and leaders that reflect that, that, kind, of, uh, that kind of thinking. And you, know, you can see the 
cross culturally where those uh, um, uh, where the you know the leaders uh, I don't know I'm putting my my mouth my foot in my mouth or see but you know the leader of North Korea the leader of uh, the former Soviet Union currently Russia I mean I think those are just a couple of glaring examples from um, non-Western countries of uh, of totalitarian thinking and, and the in the implementation of that. Um, and why don't we like that? Because we believe in freedom. We believe in these basic civil rights. And, you know, that's the argument against that is, well, you know, we discuss this in the philosophy forum. You know, it's like, well, you know, it's just a different set of values. But is that all it is? Is there something more basic about human human beings that appreciates autonomy? Freedom, self-governance, the ability. Do you think people really want that freedom, though? Because I'm, one of the things that has been worrying me recently has been the lack of acceptance of free speech, specifically on college campuses. Right. And the pushback to speakers that maybe they they don't align with. Exactly. And don't feel that they should even have a voice. It seems like people are okay with free speech as long as it aligns the, with their speech. Exactly. And and make no mistake about it. I've been doing investigations on this for a long time and it's not it's it, the extremes on both left and right are making those mistakes on campuses. But why is that? Because it, it's our way of saying what we believe and I know but colleges used to be well obviously I say used to be but I wasn't there to see it. But mm -hmm. the rumor was that colleges back in the day were you know, foundational for free speech, that they were the ones bringing on these radical speakers that, yeah, we might disagree, but I want to hear you speak so that I can formulate my own opinion and counter what you're saying if I disagree with it. That's right. That's not what's happening very much uh, anymore. It's more like, you know, drown them out, stamp your feet, um, or simply uninvite them. Or, I mean, there have been some really bad, you know, uh, examples uh, of of where people have actually had to be pulled away and taken out, right? Um, well, there was that judge speaking at Stanford, yeah. and it yeah. was just it just devolved into chaos, right? And there's also that's an it's an example. I'm trying to remember um, uh, Middlebury. I think there was a speaker that was invited, and he, basically he was invited, he was very um, uh, conservative, but actually uh, uh, changed his mind about a particular thing that you know. But I, the students weren't there to hear about his view and why he changed his mind, which would have aligned with theirs if they had bothered to listen. So apparently he was uh, not only driven up, but had to be pulled out by the person who invited him, if I've got the story right, for his own safety. Um, so I go back, you know, uh, 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 do we want freedom? We, we are free. That's part of, I think, what makes us. It's one of the many things that makes us, our, our desire for for self-governance, for for being happy. Does that worry you at all, though? The desire to drown out dissent or opposition? I think a lot of people are doing that. I, I think that's part of the problem, and they're doing it in the name of social justice, and my friend, that is uh, the farthest from the truth. You know, I mean, we throw this term around here called fascist. It's not actually technically fascist, but I know what they're talking about. That no, word gets it gets thrown around so much. Well, now. and it's not even it's not it's inappropriate. What they what they mean is um, something like, uh, I would imagine if you're if you're actually getting it right, probably something like authoritarian, dictatorial. Um, that's you know like, but if you look at the method that people are using, they're doing the very same thing, it, but they're doing it because they're the ones who are 
thinking that they're promoting this this just uh, inclusive environment, right? Or or you know, or the, or the other way around. But it's like if you look at what people are doing, um, it's you know, it, it, it it's really, uh, I think a problem. Yeah, it's a violation of free speech. It's a and, and I mean, we have provocateurs out there. You know, people invite people who are uh, want to speak just to be provocative, just to kind of get under people's skin. It, it gets so complex. Um, but we're we're talking about being able to respectfully hear another view, and if it's a problem, say why it is. What is it about this view that's problematic? Name it, and then other people will say, yeah. Maybe that person won't change change your mind um, because their value, whatever it is they value, is is just that weighty, and they'll just come up with another argument. Maybe if they think about it a little bit more, that that's a kind of thing. But it just, um, yeah. So I think human beings, and again, this is very, uh, in in a way, uh, presumptuous, but. Uh, we have this range of values, these, this, this range of interests, and, and a range of, of different ways of knowing. I mean, think of Scott Sattler's, you know, uh, knowing beyond mysticism. Or, you know, uh, you know feminists are writing feminist epistemologies, and I, I don't know if it, at rock bottom it's going to be some kind of contradiction of what things might be very general uh, and and uh, allow us to have conversations about knowledge in a way that um, uh, that can be mutually understood. I mean, if we can't we can't even do that, we can't understand um, each other in any way, uh, shape, or form. But um, what was I going with this? I was the different values, different ways of knowing. We're diverse beings, and that is how we adapt. That's how we grow. Um, that's how we evolve. Well, it's ironic because that's not what we want to do. We want to shut out the diversity we disagree with and right. and try to form some some unity that we feel is is the best path forward. Yeah, and then you have kind of the paradoxical case in 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 the USA of um, um, uh, what in a way unifies us. Um, and again, this is really really general. Is a basic. Uh, appreciation for and what ultimately should be respect for diversity you know look how much headway we've made i mean you know look at some of these uh some of these topics kind of ground this george gansey um he uh, african-american philosopher he wrote across black spaces um essays and interviews from an American philosopher. He's written a lot of things, right? But he talks, his presentation was on um, between pessimism and optimism. White crisis uh, in the forum uh, year on racism and cultural change, right? So this is just an example. It's like, oh, and he wrote, he uh, released an article in, um, I believe it was the New York Times um, that got sorry my nose is itching got these responses vitriolic right vitriolic response, uh, responses 
from white readers. I mean, just horrible uh, responses. Um, and, you know, he, he, he speaks about this. And what this is important to recognize. We have to become aware of this kind of thing so that we, in particular, I'm referring to myself as a white person, um, can make sure that it doesn't happen. Again, well, how do we do that? Certainly on some grand cultural level, my gosh. I mean, in, in checking myself to the, you know, to, checking myself on on the kind of language I use, kind of assumptions I make uh, about people, uh, particularly people who are different. I'm sorry to interrupt. He received those responses in turn. What did he specifically write that caused those responses to come his way? He, he wrote, and I'm I'm going to look at my phone here because okay. I want to think of things, Dear White America. I think that's the name of it, but I want to make absolutely sure. It was brief. It was a um, just a, an editorial piece, I believe. Let me just go to it. If you don't mind, is this okay? No, absolutely, okay. yeah. So okay. he wrote spe- something specifically directed towards white people, and then got some backlash. Yeah, as a backlash is is a mild way of putting it. Dear white, I think. Let me see this. Hmm. No, it's gone. I'm, I'm missing. Missing up. Here, let me get this right. I feel really bad nope. not having this at the no, top. No, bro. I had my students read this, right? It's on my my on my course site. I'm just going to go George Yancey. Right. Here we here, here we go. These are the books. Um, let's see. Sorry, I'm taking so long on this. Dear White, I'm just going to put that there. Okay, come on now. I can add it in afterwards. It's not. I well, definitely would like to read it later, but it's not. It's not incredibly pressing. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I'm just embarrassed. Oh no, no, that's all part of the podcast. Sometimes it takes a turn, and oh my gosh! But anyway, was a, the the substance of it was uh, basically uh, call, calling us on our. Um, on our, our our prejudice, on um, our our treatment, uh, generally of African Americans, our response, um, and so he got this huge, just huge uh, backlash. People who were not being respectful, horrible things said. Um, so bring this to the level of awareness. Uh, changes that have been taking place. It's long before uh, civil rights movement, uh, and continue, and you know we see this. It's painful, you know. It's like because we're being held accountable for something that we don't 
want to be held accountable for, even though we may still be a part of that problem. But is that still, is it a fear of accountability or is it a recognition of, of changing times? I mean, did you, did you feel, you said that you had to check yourself a little bit after reading that, right? No, was... I, I, I was right. I, I agreed with it. You know, I was doing this forum on that, on the topic, obviously. So um, I was sad to hear that he received such, you know, like such threats, such just horrible. Uh, but that's kind of a response. blank statement to make that white people in general, hey, this is a wake up call for you, right? Because it's not all white people that are racist. It's just it's racist not, people that are racist. Well, that's a good question. I think it's a really good question. I would want to argue, and I think this is part of uh, uh, what what uh, Professor Yancey would say, is whether we realize it or not, racism is systemic, which is to say it's a social phenomenon. And so even though you as a particular person may not be racist, you have a burden, a responsibility as a white person to change your culture, not just to do what so many people, Americans, will do, which is throw up their heads and say, oops, <laughs> I don't want to knock that microphone off. Uh, just like, oh, uh, uh, you know, that's not me. I don't, I'm not responsible for that. You know, you're not responsible maybe for being a racist, but you're responsible for not seeing your society as a racist society and not taking responsibility to do whatever you can with, with commitment. To change that, do you see the difference? I mean, yeah, no, I've heard that argument. It's just always, I I don't know if it's my lack of understanding fundamentally of, of where that comes from, but I the systemic racism thing always causes me to pause because mm -hmm. I'm not sure that I buy into that right. that people and that if you are silent or even if you're a good person, you're somehow still a part of the problem. You're if part you're of white. you're part of the society. Yeah, so. Um, and one of the things, the, the question is, it's, a, it's an ethical question. Well, what do I do? You know, my, my colleague was talking about this earlier. What do I do when my friend yet again calls a black person? You know, pejorative term. Um, but then aren't all people, what if you're a black person and your friend is racist towards X person? Then aren't they part of the problem too? Well, in, in, a, different, in a different context. But systematically, African Americans have been... Uh, marginalized in a way that white people have not. We have been able to presume certain opportunities, certain powers, certain privileges that were simply forbidden uh, to, to African-Americans. And of course, and I use that, these are general categories, but you know, to, to, to all women, um, regardless of race, um, you know, and just, no, you can't vote. You know, that that didn't, didn't come to pass in the early, early part of the, uh, the 20th century. Where, and it was hard won. Why? Because people, women, actually got out there and fought for it, right? The, the suffragettes. Women uh, suffered, uh, were, were jailed, um, uh, force-fed when they, when they used to... Uh, starving themselves as waved as demonstrating, so it's not we just don't have this. Didn't just fall upon it, upon us from the sky. I mean, this is an example of, um, and so to your question, whether it be about racism or sexism, just as a white man, what could you do in that kind of situation before women had the right to vote or before uh, women were respected as equals in this more pervasive way? 
and we still have a lot, lot to, to do. But what could you do as a white male? Well, you could speak up for women. Um, utilitarian philosophers did this. I got it. Yeah, but didn't they do that back in the day? Yeah. So, the, I mean, it's it seems like, from, from what I've heard from a number of different guests, is it, there's this air that white people still have a sin to atone for, in a sense. That would be the best way that I could put it. Yeah. And that sin has now fallen onto this generation, and they, they need to atone for that, for the sins of their ancestors, or however you want to phrase that. And that, to me, just doesn't quite click. Well, I don't understand that that reasoning. What happened, if you're using slavery as an example, or, or um, denying women the right to vote or disrespecting women based on their color or their uh, sexual orientation or whatever, if you're, um, it is sinful. But that's not the focus. It's not about individual sin falling on people's shoulders. It's about a social problem that needs to be addressed, and we cannot address that social problem until we take responsibility collectively for looking at it and for doing what we can. That might mean marching with the suffragettes as a, uh, as, you no, know. I understand in the context of the day, so if women still didn't have the right to vote, helping them would be extremely beneficial. But in terms of our current society, it seems like we're still grappling with what plagued us in the past, even though we've already progressed past that point. Well, I don't know if we forget, progress, we have progressed. And let me give you an example. When you look at some, and you can see footage of this, um, of uh, the civil rights uh, movement and marches by people like Martin Luther King. How many of those people were white marching with him? Look at it. Not very many. Look at the demonstrations of the early Black Lives Matter movement. Not right now where it's been like hijacked, I'm sorry to say. Um, there were people of all colors, ages, sexes. I mean, it, it, you, talk about, uh, you talk about a difference. I mean, I remember seeing footage of the early civil rights movement. I was you know, obviously very young, but it, saw it later and also uh, did the uh, ethics forum, the philosophy forum, excuse me, on, on that. And so we got to look at some of this stuff. There is so much more awareness and inclusion in the people who are doing the supporting of the African-American cause. Right? Um, See, that awareness thing, that's come up a couple of times. And one of my fears is that we are more aware today, absolutely, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But we are more aware of fewer problems. And so each problem is now blown into a significantly bigger size than it would have been realistically right. because we can all focus on this one thing. And so now we've made a mountain out of this molehill well, in it, a sense. You see, I would say the mountain is a mountain. Um, it, 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 the mountain is a mountain that we're actually seeing is a mountain, which rests on, uh, yes, a history. And things have improved, right? So, and I, wanna, I would want to say that, but you'll find in the improvement a lot of really ugly stuff that continues. And that's what we're not acknowledging. When we say, oh, I'm not responsible. We're not acknowledging that that still exists and that it needs to be rectified. And again, so I, what would be the goal of it? What, like, what is the progression to the end? Would the end state look like there are no more racist people in America? Is that 
what are we working? Because it seems like the sentiment is that we still have more work to do. But what is the what is that end point look like? In I society? think I, I I would leave it as an open question. Certainly, you can do the theory. You know, do the general, which is eliminate racism, which is the the prejudiced. Or, but is that realistic? I don't care whether it's realistic or not. We do the best we can. You know, I, I don't think. I mean, really. The goal is progress. And again, this is a, a easy word to throw around. We hear people calling themselves progressive. It's like, what? You know, which is self-aggrandizing, if anything was. But this is, um, for a society like this, and that's all I can focus on, a society like this, what unifies us is, is, is you know, basic rights articulated in, uh, in the Constitution and things that go govern that. I mean... Um, you know, the Bill of Rights, for example. Yeah, they're very specific. Well, I, I wouldn't say specific. That's not – they're spelled out. But then how do we implement that in a way that is consistent with the rest of the document? But, so we're – that's part of who we are is to respect all persons as having equal rights to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, right? How do we implement that? And I think, I'm not sure if I'm making my, myself clear. I mean, I don't think there's going to be a panacea at the end of the day where we end up you know, being, uh, but it, we've got to do the, the work that we can um, without presuming that we're the only person in the world that has the right view because we, we can learn a thing or two. And that's part of what the forum is all about. Um, did that answer your question? I'm not sure. No, but I, I understand the sentiment. I think race for me is is a very interesting topic just because, you know, I've only grown up in the world that I've grown up in, in its current state. Uh -huh. And I was born in 97 and, you know, I've lived a relatively short life. Yeah. And in my perception of the world, it seems like when I was younger, race was not as big of an issue. It felt like we had almost progressed through it. And now it feels like it's coming back up in this weird way. Yeah, it's a big issue because people are actually demanding that they have a voice and that but they have the same rights. But what 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 rights? I mean, we all have the same rights right now. Well, we we can say that, right? We, we can look at it. That's what, um, as a society, we're supposed to be committed to. But as far as the opportunities and the impl implementation of those rights, it's it, that's a different story altogether. And that's part of what we have to look at. That's part of what a good education involves is, okay, let's take a look at this. It doesn't mean that we do so uncritically um, because, like I said, you know, people uh, can have very different positions and – can have conversations about those differences in a way that is meaningful and mutually enriching. You know, you, you don't have to be, you know, at each other's throats, but what we need to do uh, is um, be willing to come to terms, not just where we as individuals may have these, uh, these prejudices or these practices uh, that marginalize certain people, certain groups, but, but where our culture still does. 
um, and take responsibility for making changes where we can and where we can, where we ought to, right? That's where we kind of leave it a little bit of an open question. I gave the example. Um, uh, was it Aldo, um, Alan Aldo? Alan Aldo, the lead um, actors of MASH, who had three daughters, and basically he was a, an advocate for the Equal Rights Amendment. For, and of course, then the Equal Rights Amendment was targeted to supporting women's rights. And more specifically, white women's rights, let's be real, okay? Um, but that's an example of being an ally. We call this being an ally, but it's not just, well, I agree with you. It's being willing and committed to doing whatever it is within your power uh, responsibly, I'll say, uh, and justly, whatever version you have of that, to live into that to, and, and to make your world, to, to make your culture uh, live into that, to have your culture live into it. And when you start making things happen, it's not always a... So um, I get another example I gave is all of the people, God, people, oh, just think about it. Just in the recent years, the, uh, um, the women's movement um, went, oh, it was a, uh, where... There were people in every single country represented by by this, uh, in support of women's uh, women's existence, women's uh, uh, rights. Um, I mean, it, it's such a different world now, and and we're making headway, which for us, I think, is uh, allowing more people to participate. And I want to say reasonably, right? and responsibly in this process of um, creating culture, uh, being a part of um, any educational forum, but you know, being a part of the world we live in. Um, so yeah, if I didn't answer this, could you please maybe bring the question up in a way that uh, allows me to adjust it? Because I think, I think what we do have is we have, we have um, blind spots. And the only reason... Um, I know this is because I have them myself, right? And, Blind spots in terms of race? Yeah, whatever. I mean, whatever it is. It's like, oh, wow, you know, in the, changing language, respecting the, the pronouns people want to be called by. That was an issue when I was growing up. It was a non-issue. You were, you were male or you were female. Certainly weren't both. And you certainly weren't both in a way that was uh, you know, clearly controversial. Like but the, the pronoun is a perfect example. Don't you think that's... The mountain out of the molehill situation. Not for people who don't want to be misgendered. Yeah, but in terms of severity of it, and in terms of impact issue wise, that's pretty minor. What well, somebody calls you is is now this right. existential threat in a sense. No, I understand what you're what you're saying, and again, I, I I think that that's a great example of somebody who they're misgendered. Just politely say, just correct the person doing the misgendering. I mean, what does it take? We're civilized human beings. I shouldn't use that word, right? It's a, got, got its own problematic connotations these days. But, um, you know, if we really want the best, we just say, hey, you know, please call me she or call me he or call me they. Well, now they is a singular term. It didn't used to be a singular term, or at least generally speaking, uh, it wasn't used as a singular term. Now it's routine, right? So you don't have to say he or she. You don't have to accept this radical um, 
mutually mutual exclusivity between what it is to be a male and what it is to be a uh, female. Right? It's like you're wait. It, it, it's but we're changing the way we think, which is reflected in how we use language. We're changing how we use language uh, in a positive way here by taking the sex out of the pronoun. Do you think that that is a a societal shift in the sense that it is emergent just out of the direction we're going? Or do you think that is a forced adoption? Um, I think it's emergent. Uh, I think we say it's forced only because we haven't seen the history and what people have had to go through. I talked to you about the suffragettes and, you know, what, what people have had to go through um, uh, to to have this kind of this kind of respect. And, um, you know, if, if it were important to you, well, then, you know, you would probably see uh, that. I mean, it would be like someone, again, this is a bad example, but uh, referring to uh, you as, as a girl or she is like, well, wait a minute, right? But see, it, that wouldn't bother me. Right. I would just assume, I would just as quickly not even correct them. I would just keep going about my, I mean, if we were in a conversation like this and you said she, I would probably correct you once or twice, but right. if you just kept doing it, I would say, okay, she's maybe right. struggling with something. I don't know. Right. It's right. not going to affect my day. Well, I would say um, if it is important to people, and it is important to people because they, they haven't had the privilege of being a, a male, a white male who has not been misgendered. Uh, they haven't had that. I don't say privilege. That's an overworked word. You know, it's, that's like fascist. It's yeah. Just it's getting... just like it, 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 you, you can presume uh, that if someone calls you a girl or a she, that they're making a mistake. And now people make mistakes. But this is not what's going on here. This is a, a, a deeper phenomenon. It's a social phenomenon of ch changing the way people think, which is reflected, that, uh, that is reflected in how they talk. And it's very, very important to some people for reasons that you might not be able to identify with because they're not your reasons. Yes, I like the way that that is phrased. It's very important to some people, but not to others for various reasons. My, I mean, I'm fascinated. The, the race and the emergence of transgenderism in today's society, I find fascinating. Mm -hmm. I think it is, it is, it's almost an interesting case study to see how society reacts in some sense as you were watching these things unfold. Right. My fear at large with society is that in in claiming we're pursuing this diverse and unified culture, what we're really doing is we're creating and sowing division under the banner of unity and equality and all of these things. But yeah. what we're really doing is trying to divide people into smaller and smaller boxes. Yeah, I understand. And to give everyone a plight, a struggle that they now right. have to fight for instead of yeah. coming together and working towards something actually tangible. Like, okay, let's bring up People in poverty. How about, let's look at economic status. Let's make education more accessible. Let's do these real tangible things that would have a positive impact across these categories. Now it's no, we need to focus on this minority group and then we'll move to this one and then this one. And the results aren't tangible for everyone unless you were in this significantly smaller and smaller box of right. people. Right. But you see, this should be tangible to all of us insofar as we could be that person if we had been born in a different body. Or if we were born uh, in in a body that you know, uh, uh, would, I guess it, it really depends. But you know, people who feel like they're born in the wrong body for whatever reason, or you're born, um, 
in a in a black body or you're born in a female body again these are real general categories i got it right but uh um it doesn't matter that i'm i don't want to put it that way as a white woman i should still be concerned about my fellow human being but doesn't that right there isn't that statement isn't that a show that we are devolving as a society that you have to use that as a white woman that you have to open up with that you can't just say hey as me as you know as who i am in this moment this is what i think now you have to quantify it you have to say That's well right. i am this person from this specific background with mm-hmm. these perceived privileges let me just acknowledge this let me say i'm sorry and right. then we can move on to the conversation right right well you see um i would start with i'm a white woman why because i am and that sets a, con- a context for any you know conversation we can have around these sorts of issues um, I'm not going to open up every conversation I have as a, uh, by the way, as a white woman. But when it talks, of, when we're talking about race or gender, that's important to frame, because um, a, as a female, I have not been able to just assume uh, the the opportunities. And I will just say here, using this term appropriately, in my experience, the privileges uh, that uh, that. Um, my male colleagues have, and I'm not just talking about philosophy department. It just this, I've just seen it, you know. It's like, um, and experienced it, and that makes a difference. I know that the same is true for, based on their own testimony, many of the African American students that I've had, uh, many of the African American teachers and professors that I've come to know. It's they, their experience is different, and to the degree that we have different experiences, formatively hence different values and interests, we can't just presume anything. You can say, well, as me, well, who am I? You know, it, it, is it relevant to the conversation that I say that I'm white or that I'm a woman or I identify uh, as, as cisgender, which is I identify as a female, which is what I was designated at birth. And you say, well, what is going on here? Are we not doing, you know, is this not creating? It's important for the people who don't identify in a manner that they were designated or identified at birth. It's very, very important. That's what the whole issue of transgender rights uh, is involving today, among many, many other things. But, you know, and a lot of this stuff is, is, is just politicized. We say, you know, what, what we as a culture, we as a society, is a lot of that's just pumped to us uh, through, or, 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 or given to us through, uh, through politics, through the news and things like that, that do tend to uh, kind of respond to certain things in certain ways that that load the issue. And, and again, I'm not putting this very well, but um, in a way that does draw our attention to it, but in a way that's not uh, that's not productive. That's actually destructive. Transgender rights is a great example of this. There's a backpedaling, a back backwardness of some of the legislation. On, on, you know, we are kind of hell or whole water. We're not going to talk about this. We're not going to let our children know about that because lo and behold, it might be something that they identify with or will identify with. We, we give them the idea. But so having a conversation, an education about what that, what that involves, who are the experts there? Transgender people. You know, two examples here. Fantastic. Also, uh, um, just, um, and I'm looking at this because it's actually the, I can give you the name of the books, um, 
Janet Mock, who has become since her uh, keynote and discussion with uh, uh, Jessica Pettit in 2014, um, Jessica was asking questions and, and Jennifer, uh, Janet, excuse me, and Janet would respond. Um, great forum on sex, gender, and the self. And Janet Mock is the author of Redefining Realness. Of course, she was also a key player in a couple of the episodes of uh, the production of Dahmer. She's really taken off. Oh, wow. On a, yeah, I mean, she's just taken, she's taken off in, in, a, uh, in increasing awareness around the unique uh, experience, not just of, of uh, you know, of African-Americans. She's a person of color, but she's a trans person of color. So that's a different kind of experience than, say, the next one, next speaker, also fantastic, Jennifer Finney Boylan. Now, why do I say white transgender woman and trans advocate? Because she's not Janet Mock. Janet Mock is an African-American, so her experience is going to be different, even though they're both trans uh, trans people, right? They're both trans, excuse me, trans women, to be more precise. So, um, you know, it, it makes it makes a difference. So there are things that overlap. There are things that that we share, but there are also things that that uh, d diversify, uh, d differentiate us in in certain key ways. Yeah, you need to say it, not just presume that you're going to be the default position of what it means to be a person in America, which was white and male. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I get the argument. I, okay. I would still need to sit on. How I feel. It's just, it is an interesting time for human relations in this country. I think you could sum it up to say. Yeah. And I, I don't necessarily want to stop you, but I'm we're fine. an hour and a half right now. Can we go in a little, just you a little go? bit? Yeah, absolutely. Is that okay with you? Yeah, just yeah. a little bit? Yeah. I'm sorry. I just, um, I wasn't very concise and probably repeated myself a lot, but. um. No, I've been I, enjoying our discussion. Yeah. And I, I wanted to mention a couple of other things. Um. 2013, uh, the, the forum was on ethics, animals, and the environment. Our keynote speaker is Peter Singer, uh, was Peter Sp Singer, the, uh, the author of um, Animal Liberation, um, among many other titles, uh, internationally renowned utilitarian philosopher. Came here and, and it, it, just graciously uh, uh, was able to come and present and spend actually uh, the next day with us as well, uh, looking around at the beautiful environment uh, that we live in. Uh, he and his uh, um, uh, his lovely wife uh, came with him, so it was really um, very uh, very nice to have them both of them here. Uh, I've mentioned Janet Mock, Jennifer Finney Boylan, uh, twenty eighteen. You may have heard of this person, too. An urban food revo uh, revolution was the topic. And uh, the keynote speaker was Ron Finley, also known as a gangsta gardener. <laughs> Guerrilla farmer in South Central L.A. He's got a great uh, uh, TED Talk. I'll leave you all of this stuff in case you want to look it up. Cause it's, it's, and are these are the, the previous talks, are they recorded so people can find them online? or um, No. Oh. And um, that was kind of before the days that that recordings were so pervasive. And a lot of the, the folks didn't want to be recorded. They wanted it to be, you know, un unrecorded, spontaneous conversations. And, um, uh, and, and there's also, I mean, because this is a per 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 performance out of, uh, or a productions out of Center Arts, 
and um, the college, College of Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences. And I think there are sometimes restrictions around by the by the presenters themselves. Oh, we're going to be recorded. No, you can't record this. No, this is my my. I don't. Almost intellectual property in a yeah, sense. Yeah, and I'm not sure um, whether uh, whether um, center arts would be uh, have those sorts of restrictions, but I don't think none of these have been recorded, except for maybe George Yancey's. Um, but I don't know if that. I'm not sure if even that was. So let me just put put uh, that as a pause. Another person, uh, 2019 sexual awareness in contemporary times. The keynote for that was Tarana Burke. She was the actual keynote, uh, excuse me, the actual originator of the Me Too movement. She was. Not be, the whole thing came, blew up again what, in 2012. Uh, and I blew up. I think that was, uh, I think it was a good movement and, and it still is an important movement. She has a TED Talk. But she was basically, she created a support group uh, for, uh, for women. She's an African-American woman uh, uh, who... Um, created the support group for other other females, mostly I think you know in the basement of her church, a support group for for women and you know, girls and women. It's like oh we this problem's a lot more pervasive, you know. That's another example as oh god you're making a mountain out of a molehill. Uh, no, actually, sexual assault, sexual violence, is a thing. I would say that that is in its. self a mountain. I don't think you're yeah. making a mountain out of a molehill. The yeah. pronoun no, thing understood. is more of a understood. molehill. Understood, but not, not not for a person who the, the thing is a person who responds to you can be doing it inappropriately, right? I mean, to like, excuse me, uh, that would be they. It's like be nice, be nice. You know, the part of it is that we're not being respectful to one another. I've seen this, and it's not that wasn't an extreme example, but I've seen this before. If you, if somebody misgenders you or or misidentifies you. Uh, in terms of your race or ethnicity or sexual orientation, whatever it is, um, be kind and let them know who you are, right? Doesn't mean you don't have to say anything, but with Toronto Burke, she came to speak um, and just was did a beautiful job. One of the pictures you have that I gave you was of uh, the meet and greet with her, a number of the students. Uh, and you see how diver diverse that group was, just a number of students who came to, um, uh, who came to uh, uh, see her. Uh, okay, so uh, 2019, 2020, unfortunately, John Leguizamo was not able to come, as we've spoken about. Thanks to COVID. Yeah, and George Yancey, who we've, um, who's great, and this was, a, uh, he was part of the uh, uh, presidential, uh, president speaker series as well. Um, wonderful person, very kind, very respectful, and very informative. And I will, if you don't uh, find it, I will definitely look up that uh, as Dear White America or something. I'm not going to go down that path again, but you, it's really... I'll check you know, it out. Yeah. Um, or I'll send it to you. And of course, um, uh, uh, Whitney Phillips, who I spoke to you about, um, again, cutting edge, groundbreaking work, right? Um, her, her, her work was the first on this the, the material of... Uh, mapping the relationship between online trolling. And so you guys have culture. had quite a number of very impactful people. Absolutely, be a part of the forum. Absolutely, I mean, without a doubt. And I want to thank Center Arts for that. Um, I also want to thank the College of Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences for for supporting us, and of course the the president's uh, office in in helping at least with uh, P Professor Yancey's 
Um, and they've been supportive. I mean, they've been supportive right along. So, uh, it, you know, I couldn't do this alone. I tried to, and, you know, it's groveling for money and, oh, you know, you're trying to apply for grants that uh, weren't received for all kinds of, in my view, in a couple of is at least one nefarious reasons, but you get some, you get some, you don't get some. Uh, I really am indebted to Center Arts for uh, doing this work cooperatively. And we actually used to be uh, uh, working with uh, associated students that, that went by the wayside. Um, but uh, can't say enough good things about Center Arts and the folks that uh, make that, uh, that office work. Um, let me say one more thing about the, uh, the upcoming um, talk on Wednesday, uh, Patagonia. You've seen the flyer. Right, and you have a copy of it. Seven o'clock, seven p.m. this Wednesday in the Van Duzer Theater. Van Duzer Theater. It's going to be wonderful. I said here uh, just briefly. Let me say the intro again. This one here, when Wiley he him Aka Patagonia she her has made waves over the past few years as a drag queen advocating for the environment. It does it in a fascinating way. I, I want to say here. People love Patty for her comedy and dancing, but also for her powerful honesty and vulnerability when addressing issues of inclusion and climate. And uh, just a wonderful presenter, um, from what I can tell, wonderful person. Um, so please come on uh, on Wednesday if you can make it. Was there something? Did you want any other? Want me to say anything? The philosophy forum, awesome forum. Um, uh, not just a university forum, but also a community forum uh, in many ways. Lots of people come uh, for these for these talks. Is there anything else you would want me to address or say anything? Or is that no, no you said that, enough. I mean, you have said enough. <laughs> no, yeah. we put in we put in some time. We did an hour and forty minutes. We did. We had. A, I really enjoyed our talk. Yeah. I think I agree with the sentiment that philosophy is a is a foundational science in the sense that I really think that. The ability to formulate a coherent argument that is based and has sound support, I think that is incredibly important. I think yeah. it's a skill that we've lost in some sense nowadays. I think a lot of people go into philosophy almost as this intellectual exercise rather than something that is practical that they can apply yeah, to their life. Yeah. And I think we're we're kind of struggling because we don't have that foundation yeah, to how to hold critical discourse anymore. I think that's yeah in our society nowadays. Yeah. And I think you really hit it uh, on the head there. Uh, philosophy is the mothership. You were talking about how we're getting too, like, you know, too many boxes, right? Too many boxes. Well, if you look at it, and I'm, this is no disrespect to any of the, uh, uh, any of the social sciences, please don't get me wrong, or, or, this, or, you know, even science. Science is a modern invention. As we see it now, it's a modern, uh, it's a modern phenomenon. The social sciences, the so-called softer sciences, of course, they don't like to hear that. It's a, you know, uh, comes from the so-called hard sciences. Uh, these are modern inventions. Where do we start with something really very, very general, uh, but a way, a, a method? You know, east and west. And again, that's a huge vagary of making a distinction about the world we live in. Um, but philosophy is the mothership, and all of these have become in the in the quest for for preciseness and specificity. 
um, you know, uh, coming up with new methods, m methods for understanding the world. And to, that's where we are now. But you, you don't stop doing what philosophy allows us to do and always has, which is to think reflectively, responsibly about the world we live in. Okay. Well, Mary, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you for inviting me, Nick Flores. I appreciate that very, very much. And um, hopefully I didn't go on too, too long. No, it was All great. Right. All right. Do you want to plug any online resources, anything where people can find the forum, find a website for it or anything? Center Arts. Center it's Arts. Uh, Center Arts. Um, Cal Poly Humble 2023 Philosophy Forum. You go to Center Arts. It's you know fairly widely available. Um, and let's see. And try to make it out this Wednesday, 7 p.m. If you can. This Wednesday, 7 p.m. Van Duzer Theater. Tickets are free for students. Bring your your ID or contact Michael Moore at Center Arts to get your electron electronic copy. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. This is fun. 